Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. Usually, if you want to have a career in this business, it's going to involve doing a lot of things that scare you and at first may seem unwise, but you just have to um, be willing to take those risks. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for, I can't believe it's been since uh, April since we heard from you. Casey Howe. I know. How are you? I'm wonderful. You are an expert in several different fields at Backstage, but apparently also an expert in today's guest, an expert <sighs> in the field of today's guest. Thank you. I like to think but so. But I don't really know why. Like, tell me about <laughs> Michael Shannon. I don't know how I got this title either, to be perfectly <laughs> Um, perfectly frank, um, but I do love Michael Shannon, and I am watching because My Perfect Strangers. Thank yes. you, thank you. That is clearly why I, why I love Michael Shannon. Yes, um, I think that he is an actor that has had some amazing roles, and um, can sometimes get you know overlooked or overshadowed by a different actor. And he just oh, comes sure. through every time with mm. this masterful performance and um I always have a soft spot for for the the actor that just sort of sneaks in and steals the show it's very it's my it's my favorite you're like oh I didn't see that coming so um, I find that he is one that always really really impresses so and Nine Perfect Strangers is a great example of that Yes, yes. Yeah, it's a big ensemble and he, Mm -hmm. so everyone's very much supporting kind of Nicole Kidman in this central role. Mm -hmm. And this is her reunion with David E. Kelly. Once again, they're adapting a Leanne Moriarty Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. novel, just like Big Little Lies. Yes. But um, yeah, I think this is a good example of what Michael Shannon can do. Like you said, like he can steal the scene or he can be like quietly giving a reliable supporting yes, the yes. story in exactly the way that he that he exactly and he's exactly. always fascinating to watch yes totally agree can we even say like weird mm-hmm. in a little bit of a you know interesting weird sort Absolutely. of way you and know? never in the same way twice no say. it's very true that's very shades true. of weird shades of weird His, 50 sh- michael shannon 50 shades of weird <laughs> he has a palette <laughs> yes yes I do think this interview is one of those where, you know how we get actors on this podcast who say, oh, I don't know how to talk about acting or how to give advice and I'm reluctant to give advice. Right. Those are the ones who then give the best advice. <laughs> and that's Michael so Shannon true. to a T. The ones that are humble enough to be like, I don't know everything. Yes. So let me tell you what I do know. Totally. <laughs> yes. There's a humility and then there's a like, I don't know how to articulate it, but in not being able to articulate mm-hmm. it, you articulate it 
in a way that I think a right. lot of actors are going to be like, aha. Ah, got it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's in- it's interesting too because you know the the language of of acting and entertainment yes. it's it's something that um, you know us lay lay people do not do not understand. We would not get, but actors with yeah. actors they they're like, yep, I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. Um, fun. But I also asked you, okay, so the other thing is this is also, I think, a time of year when we need to hear Casey Howe on the podcast. Oh, thank you. We've just come from Emmys. Yes. For you and me, for listeners, the Emmys have yet to happen. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Yes. I always have to remember that. (laughs) Yeah. Emmys phase two voting has concluded, which means that for you, you, for your and my purposes, we're shifting gears to film awards. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, I know. I'm sorry, listeners. This is just, it's too much. <laughs> I goes. know, I know. It's year round. And yes. the Oscars are in March, but we are already talking about them. Mm-hmm. And SAG is very much a big thing at Backstage. It's something that we are already discussing. And SAG, of course, is not just film. It is also TV. So Correct. in some ways, we're factoring Nine Perfect Strangers into our potential coverage for our Content for the SAG nominating committees, yes. for example. I don't know how you leave it out. I think that this is a very interesting, it's always a fun time of year because it's sort of that anticipation time of year where, you know, there's not a whole lot that's officially out yet, but there's tons of buzz around all sorts of different things and what's going to premiere at TIFF and yes. what's going to premiere at, um, you know, the New York Film Festival and even Telluride mm-hmm. a little bit. Yes. And really also what's coming out of Venice currently. So there's a lot of this like anticipation that's coming. And then you look and you see, you know, okay, what's going to be a late release and what mm-hmm. else might come and sort of be the the last minute, you know, swoop in, if you will. So sure. I think um, this is always a fun, fun time of year. It's almost the, um, everyone's very eager, but then we also know that we're going to have to wait a while. <laughs> so it's that, yeah. it's that like limbo of like, oh, I really want to see, I really want to know all the things. And, but now you're going to have to wait a beat and, totally. and see how it all shakes out. So it's like what we refer to in the industry as buzz. That's like yes. the con- what you just described is, is buzz. Mm-hmm. And it's crucial to, I would say the filmmaking industry in general, but like specifically in terms of, especially what you and I focus on, it's the mm-hmm. festival and awards season. Yes. This stuff yes. runs on this buzz that you're Correct. talking about. And we are at that point of, of the year where the film festivals are announcing their programming and those films are then hoping to get into Oscar season. Now, I wanted to put you on the spot, too, and spell out for listeners. And, of course, listeners know this to an extent, but, like, how? what is the state of this year's festival and awards race, especially compared to last year's? Last year, we were just surviving a pandemic. That was just, we were just getting through. Yes. Would you say this year is some of the same, or...? Um, I mean, thus far, I think that it has more of a, you know, true festival season, award season feel thus far for me. Um, I love how, yes, thank goodness. Um, I love that TIFF decided to do a more hybrid model where they do have in person, but they're also offering, um, you know, digital screenings. I think that that's a really fun model to do for a number of reasons. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things we learned from last season was that digital distribution of stuff is really important so that more people can see it. And totally doable. And totally doable. So I think that that was great, but I also love that they didn't do away with the festival 
itself, you know, yeah. the, the events, because I just think that's such a good time for the community to come together and participate and yeah. get excited and, and have that whole um, experience. So, so I'm very excited about that. And um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how, how all of that goes um, along with the rest of the fall festivals. But I think it'll be very interesting with some of the hybrid, not only for the festivals, but then obviously, you know, the Warner Brothers release hybrid where they're releasing yes. digitally and in theaters and how to, you know, mm-hmm. I think that it just, um, it just, it'll bring more people to the films. And I always think that that's good. Uh, I think more outlets for films to be released in. And I think it just helps promote more creative entertainment. And I'd like to think that that also creates more diverse and unique stories. Because it creates more accessibility in general. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would say, yeah, like last year we had it all virtual and we it was then proved like, yes, oh, there is more accessibility. Maybe a wider variety of people can can see all this stuff or attend, yeah. quote unquote, all this stuff. Right. And now this year, as you're saying, there's a sort of a combination where you can also get the, you know, COVID safe in-person events. They are happening. They are happening in LA yeah. too. They're happening everywhere. It's just... It's, it is at a fraction of it was before the before the pandemic. Correct. And you and I, for example, are attending, quote unquote, the, the Toronto International Film Festival remotely. Yes. And I still think that means that we are going to get a taste of the kind of upcoming award season. Mm-hmm. I never, I mean, I never doubted that that Hollywood would rebound so well. Yes. <laughs> I may have doubted no, totally it a couple, at a couple <laughs> points. But... <laughs> for a moment or two, but nothing serious. Yeah. <laughs> facing facing film award season last year and just being like, how will this work? Yes, and, yes, uh, it worked. Well, and I think it worked. <laughs> it worked. We did it, and um, and it worked fine. And I think this year, um, just you know, listeners, be be ready. There are going to be. I I will predict, and I don't love to predict things Go because for it. I'm always wrong. That you will be watching a lot of motion pictures. I think that's the a other takeaway from this year versus last year is a lot yes. is delayed so that it could come out now. So, yes. So, um, you know, get those monthly, you know, AMC theater tickets, just oh, go sure. ahead and buy the monthly pass <laughs> unlimited just do it now. Trust me, it's going to be worth Max it. Subscription, your Netflix, <laughs> get your subscription. Your, yep, just yep. make sure everything is, is good. Cause you'll, you'll be there. If it were me, I would do the, the movie ticket and just go ahead and get the small popcorn. Just, Sign up, for, sign up for the bundle because you know you're going to get it. You know, by the time you see two a month, you've already broken even. Just do it. Just buy the monthly pass. This is what my friends, everybody <laughs> keeps saying this exact thing too. Movie going. A movie going. Yay. All those things that we used to say like, oh, do we have to go to another movie? Yeah. And now you're like, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Totally. <laughs> totally. So I guess we're wrapping this banter session by saying thank you to the developers of the COVID vaccines. Yes. For um, enabling us to return to a semblance of normalcy. Yes. yes. Many, many thanks for all of the crazy long hours yeah. and experimentation and risks you took. Thank yes. you. That yes. also allows for productions like Nine Perfect Strangers to happen. So thank you for that. Yes. And um, thank you, Casey, for joining me on this on this lovely conversation. I'm so excited for this film award season and festival me season. Me too. I will see you, quote unquote, at TIFF, not yes. in person. Um, and now, listeners, let's go to the the fascinating, the weird. What are the other adjectives we kept using to describe them? The interesting, interesting. 
Michael Shannon. Hey, if you are an actor or an aspiring actor, someone at the beginning of your artistic career, and you haven't signed up for Backstage yet and you don't know how it works, I have good news for you. Backstage is offering 30 whole days completely free just for our In the Envelope listeners. If you visit backstage.com slash subscribe and enter the code envelope, you will have full access to the site where you can make a profile, upload a headshot, upload a reel, start applying to the thousands of casting notices uploaded every single day on the world's number one casting platform. Again, we are giving listeners of this podcast 30 days completely free to try out Backstage. Go to checkout, that's backstage.com slash subscribe, and enter the code ENVELOPE. If you want to be in contention for an Emmy or for an Oscar or for a Tony or for a SAG award, do as many of the guests on this podcast have suggested and use Backstage. We are here for you. Again, free 30-day trial, backstage.com slash subscribe. Enter the code ENVELOPE. Michael Shannon has turned in compelling performance after compelling performance from his Chicago theater days all the way to a Tony nomination for Long Day's Journey Into Night and Academy Award nods of her Revolutionary Road and Nocturnal Animals. The actor-producer-musician has starred in 8 Mile, 99 Homes, Take Shelter, Boardwalk Empire, Man of Steel, Midnight Special, Elvis and Nixon, The Shape of Water, Knives Out, and more, and can now be seen on Hulu's TV adaptation of Nine Perfect Strangers. Here is the riveting Michael Shannon. Hi, Michael. How are you? Lovely. Yourself? I'm doing well. Um, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Um, we are backstage. We are the Actors Trade Publication. Are you familiar with Backstage at all? Yeah, I've seen it once or twice. Yep. You did not use it early days in Chicago for ca- for casting calls. Uh, in Chicago, we had a newspaper called Perform Inc. That was our go-to. That's where I got my first jobs. Was out mm-hmm. of this Perform Inc. with sure. a K. Well, great because we are all about the craft and career advice, and I think there's a lot to get into with. Um, Nine Perfect Strangers, and I'm sure you've been asked this all day, but how how did you get involved? How did Nine Perfect Strangers come about? So I did this movie called The Night Before with a director named Jonathan Levine. And um, I had been, when COVID started, I'd been sitting around my house for about four months. And then I just got this call from Jonathan and he said, hey man, I, I was wondering if you'd come to Australia and do this thing for me. And I was I was initially a, li- a little bit hesitant because, you know, um, I didn't like the idea of being so far away mm-hmm. from my family because they couldn't come with me at the beginning. So um, it seemed a, a bit far away. Mm-hmm. And then I read this, the first three scripts and um, I talked to Jonathan. I said, are you, you, are you sure you want, you want me to play the Napoleon guy? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's a little, shouldn't that be like David Hyde Pierce or something? And he's like, no, no, I want you to do it. I said, oh, all right, fair enough. Well, that's intriguing because it was, it felt a little different than what, why well, I hesitate to say what I normally get asked to do because to me, everything's different, but sure. it, it definitely seemed a little outside of my, um, Coliseum, so sure. to speak. Yeah. Totally. So that intrigued me a great deal. And then 
I also just really like Jonathan. I think he's really funny and he's a lot of fun to work with. So I eventually I got the okay from my family and they and they let me uh, go. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's cool you say that about the compared to your other characters. I mean, I really like asking actors uh, describe your character. Who is Napoleon to you? How would you describe him? Oh, gee. Well, you know, he's somebody who's dealing with um, a very significant loss. Mm. Um, he's a member of a family unit that is dealing with a very significant loss. Um, but he's inherently essentially a, a joyful person who mm. seems to relish uh, life. Uh, he's a teacher. Um, he loves being around young people. Uh, he's full of them and vigor, you know, he's excited by life. And then, uh, at the same time, trying to understand how one of his own children didn't share this <laughs> same enthusiasm, so to speak. So, uh, hmm. yeah, those are some of the rudimentary components of Napoleon. Yeah. And I love the kind of unfolding of the character. And then by episode three, we see what's sim- what's kind of been simmering underneath. And I got to mm. say that impromptu eulogy, you make this sound toward the end of that impromptu eulogy that seems to just come from your gut. And I'm wondering, is can we can I ask you about emotion and your, just your relationship with emotion in terms of your process as an actor? I feel like in that moment, you must be experiencing that level of grief in your body. Yeah, well... I guess initially when I was considering the project, another source of trepidation for me was I felt a huge responsibility to not screw this up and not get it wrong. I felt like it was going to be a very fine line. I I, I didn't want to use um, the event uh, of what happens to my character as a, as simply a way of making, you know, captivating television or something. I wanted to be, I I was like, if I'm going to do this, it has to be for real, Hmm. which means, you know, it can't be melodramatic. I didn't want it to be over the top or manipulative or schmaltzy or anything. I wanted it to, to be as, as genuine as I'm capable of doing, considering that this has actually never happened to me personally. Right. So, um, so I did a lot of uh, research and reading, and and uh, I just, yeah, I I, I just uh, took it very seriously. I know that sounds like a ridiculously obvious thing to say. I mean, who yeah, doesn't yeah. take their job seriously? But uh, and I worked on that uh, the eulogy. I spent a lot of time with that material. Mm-hmm because I had the time, I had the luxury of time. I spent two weeks in a hotel room by myself. Totally. So that kind of came in handy, particularly on this job, you know? Um, I haven't always had that luxury. No. Sometimes you just run into a job. Um, I always marvel at the stories of actors who spend six months preparing for a part Mm -hmm. or something. I never seem to have that kind of time, really. Mm -hmm. But... um, but the quarantine forced me to at least spend, you know, two weeks uh, sure. focused on it, which I which I found helpful uh, and appreciated. Yeah. 
That is so interesting that quarantine forces you to stop, forces us all to stop and take stock like that. And it yeah. helped your actual process. Yeah. I mean, if I didn't have the job, I'm not so sure I would have enjoyed it. Just yeah. spending, but, uh, <laughs> but if you have something that you can work on, then it yeah. can be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Are there things that you do every time in terms of your process for every role? You know, you mentioned research. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's just, you know, a lot of it's common sense. If you're going to pretend to be somebody, you better know as much about them as possible. You know, (laughs) if you're going to pretend to be Elvis then you should know as much about Elvis as you humanly possibly can, you know, Um, you're going to pretend to be Richard Kuklinski. You better know as much about him as possible. You know, a lot of it, there's, it really breaks down into, there's two classifications. There's when you're playing someone who actually existed and when you're playing someone who's just a figment of the imagination and, and the figment of imagination is honestly a little less pressure, Mm. but, um, yeah, because like I said, I don't. I want to get it right. And if the imagination is like, well, that's up to my imagination, uh, which is more forgiving, I guess. But um, mm. but I did, even though this is a fictional character, I felt that same sort of responsibility that I usually feel playing an actual person because mm. just because I I wanted to make sure I and I and there's no one way to respond to anything you know people have various reactions if, if everybody reacted same way to everything then mm. there wouldn't be any reason to do what we do so totally um but nevertheless uh now i'm now i'm wondering the original question is do i have a similar approach and it's really like how do you prepare to take an exam it's almost Study. academic well and the text, mm-hmm. you have to, you know, you have to know the text backwards and forwards. And uh, so that that's not what you're thinking about, you know, when you're doing it. Sure. And I've read that you you really do, in fact, know the text of other characters, other roles that aren't yours. Is that is that true? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> well, I yeah, I mean, I, I'll go into to the scene, whatever the day's work is, knowing, mm-hmm. yeah, knowing the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, not word for word, but yeah, yeah, someone will get hung up and they'll be like, what do I say? And I'll be like, it's, I think it's this, (laughs) something like this. Oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) But I don't, I'm not like, I don't want to seem like I'm showing off or trying to embarrass people. It's just, I can't help it. Uh, It's just because I'm a theater guy. So exactly. That's a theater habit. Well, right. And so that brings me to like, that's all the prep. And then so on the day you talked about responding. I feel like this must come from the theater practice. How do you stay present? What is reacting to you as an actor? Wow. Uh, I don't know. I mean, now we're getting into stuff that I don't know that we really know how to talk about it. I mean, I think... I mean, I try and stay very uh, uh, pure. I don't mm. take my uh, phone on the set. I don't, like, between takes, I don't sit around and go on and on about something that's irrelevant to what sure. we're working on. I just, the, the word method, I'm not 
mm-hmm. comfortable with. I'm not always walking around like whoever I'm playing, but mm-hmm. but I just try to. If the camera's not rolling, I just try not to do much and mm. and just listen. I mean, just just listen. Um, I don't know. I don't know why it's so. I mean, I guess that's why Meisner's book is so. Mm. The first time you you look at it, you're like, "What the hell is he talking about? This is ridiculous." <laughs> People repeating things to each other, mm. and, but it there's something in it that um, I think he's really uh, right about. You know. Interesting. Yeah. That is, is that a go-to or is that, has that been a form? I mean, technique? I haven't read it in, <laughs> I don't read it like, you know, every other Friday, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I, I remember, you know, when I started out, you get all the books and you kind of, yeah. you say, Oh, it's this one. No, it's this one. No, it's this one. Or, or maybe it's half this and half that. And then, mm-hmm. but the first time I read his book, I was like, I, I didn't get it. It didn't make sense. And then, like a few years later, I was like, oh, no, he's he's he was right. He's the mm. right one. <laughs> he, he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. It just depends on where you are in your artistic journey. True. Yeah. Maybe five years from now, I'll be like, oh, Stella Adler was the best one. I don't know. Sure. You know? Uh, it's just, um, I don't know. I guess, honestly, you're probably, if you're in this line of work, mm and you have any success at it, maybe you're predisposed to it. Mm. It's just part of your psychological makeup. I mean, I've always been a hyper, hyper sensitive person. And by that, I don't mean like I cry all the time. What I mean is like I'm hypersensitive to sight and sound and Mm -hmm. just any sort of stimulus. Like it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to block things out. I'm not, I don't, Mm. I'm not very good at that. Hence the stillness, maybe, between takes. I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. me, it's about just reserving energy. Don't uh, don't waste any energy. Because sure. it's a long day, and, and you may have to do the most important thing, like after you've been there for 12 hours. And Lord forbid you walk on the set and you're tired because you had an hour-long conversation about Bitcoin with your friends. <laughs> just save your energy totally and is that also uh stage versus screen acting is it safe to say that you started with stage and then had to kind of transition to learn to screen how different are those two for you hmm you know for a while they seemed incredibly different Mm -hmm. but what i'm noticing lately is they're starting to feel the same okay again the artistic journey yeah, it changes. Is it nothing holds steady, you know? Yeah. Nothing holds steady. But I think more than anything, you just have to get used to being in front of a camera. And that's whether you've acted in a play or whether you were, you know, working at Arby's. You know, just being in front of a camera is mm. hard. Mm. It's weird. It's not comfortable. And you just have to do it a few times. Mm. And then you get, it's like jumping off a high dive or something. You know, you do it the first time you do it, you're terrified. And then you do it, you know, 20 more times and you're doing cannonballs. You know, you just get used to it. <laughs> Wonderful. And going, looking back at those early career days, I mean, what, is there anything you wish you'd known? Like, and like, what was the, um, 
original goal? Did you want to become a screen <laughs> actor at some point? No. It was theater, right? No, yeah, I had I this is this is this is difficult for me to say because in a way it's embarrassing. But I I didn't I didn't have a lot of ambition in terms of um career-wise. Hmm. I did I was hugely ambitious when I did something because I wanted to be like ah. a magical transcendent unforgettable experience. But when but I, it wasn't adding up to anything. Now that may have been a luxury that I had in Chicago. Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, you know, particularly in light of um, recent um, current events and, and, and thought about, you know, uh, how the theater might have been um, mm. or is a privileged environment, perhaps. And um, so I've had to take a long look at that and think, well, wasn't that dandy for me that I was able to mm. to play like that and and not feel like I had to make a big career out of it? But uh, but it yeah. just kind of happened, and I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky because I know people that do want that and mm. are striving for that, and they don't get it. So I just, it feels almost kind of cruel in a way. But I don't really know what to do about it because it's already <laughs> happened. So. <laughs> But no, I wasn't, I was terrible about all the things. Like I didn't, I never updated my resume or people would have to scream in my face to get a new headshot or things like that. I just, sure. I just like making plays. I just like telling stories. And I would tell stories that were really, really hard to tell. And that took a lot out of me mm. and I would, do them over and over and over and over again. You know, like when I did Killer Joe, mm -hmm. you know, I did that show 400 times. Wow. And that's not an easy show to do. Or Bug mm -hmm. did that over 200 times. Well, and you've said too that your like advice for early career artists is to collaborate with a great writer. Like, like for you, it was Tracy. Yeah, it's pretty crucial. Yeah. I mean, because there were shows I did, plays I did early on that um, I would just try so hard, you know, to to make it work. But <laughs> if the script's not any good, then it's not it just <laughs> you can do you could go up there and, you know, pull a rabbit out of your ear. But it just doesn't matter. You know, it, it starts with the writing. Yeah, I find. Yeah. And it's inevitable in any actor's career. They're going to have scripts like that. Right. And it, yeah, yeah. We all used to refer to it as putting gold paint on a pile of four letter word beginning with S. <laughs> uh, so it's nice when you can actually put gold paint on a pile of gold, you know. Um, yes. Or you don't have to paint it at all. Right. Uh, and also the thing about meaning new writing or uh, new writing, like world premieres and stuff, is like there are a lot of great plays, you know, like. Death of a Salesman or Streetcar Named Desire. And mm -hmm. and you can go do an amazing revival of that, but that's not necessarily going to stop people in their tracks. Because they're like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, you did that quite well. I've seen other people do it quite well. You know, exactly, yeah. So it was nice to have uh, Tracy and 
and other writers I've worked with as well to make these exciting new events. Oh, yeah. yeah, that is crucial. Is there yeah. is there the go to advice for early career actors? I feel like it's a two part question because we sometimes ask, "What advice would you give your younger self?" But as you mentioned, the industry is different today. Is there something you would yeah. advise early career actors today? It's so scary now. I mean, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, this is the longest I've ever gone in my professional life without doing a play. Sure. Uh, since COVID started. And I see people trying to do things on, on Zoom yeah. and uh, stuff like that. And um, <laughs> I admire it, but... It's not the same thing, really. So, you know, it's it's a really, really challenging time. I just hope that I hope that people are able to, to get back on stage. And if not, you know, I, I know a lot of people are exploring trying to do stuff outside mm-hmm. uh, public. You know, I mean, I know they just did. They're doing Shakespeare in the park and that's been going well. Um, but uh, it's really tricky. Um, in terms of like career advice, uh, Jesus, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I I just got so lucky. I did. I just, I, I see so much luck when I look back at my career, I see so much an overabundance of of luck. Yeah. And everyone's path is totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I ran into, you know, Lee Daniels when I was doing Killer Joe in New York and he decided to manage me. He wanted to manage me. And I would have never gone to LA if it weren't for Lee. I would have never gone there. I didn't want to go there. I was like, no, 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 no. And Lee's like, trust me, just go to LA. You don't even have to stay that long. I'll handle it. And he did. How, How do I, how do I turn that into advice? I don't know. I just, you know, usually if you want to have a career in this business, it's going to involve doing a lot of things that scare you and at first may seem unwise, but <laughs> you, know, you just have to um, be willing to take those risks, I guess. Yes, that right there is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Michael. This is all great. Can I ask you one last question? We ask everyone, uh, what is one performance, an acting performance that you think actors should study and see and uh, why? Maybe something you've seen recently? Yeah. Well, the performance that is particularly close to my heart mm-hmm. as of late, although it was a number of years ago, but um, in the Michael Haneke film, Amour, mm. Emmanuel Rivas, yeah. um, that performance just, uh, that might be the greatest performance I've ever seen. That's awesome. And it reminded me because I uh, my my favorite member of my family, other than my children, but like before I had children, was my my grandmother, mm. uh, Lily, and she had a stroke, and she she had to deal with um, the effects, the after effects of that for a number of years, and so it reminded me of my grandma, mm. and uh, I just thought it was astonishing what she was able to do. I mean, like I was talking about at the very beginning of the interview, like the amount of responsibility mm. and dignity, you know, that, that she presented that uh, with 
was just really took my breath away. Yeah. That is fantastic. That is such yeah. a fantastic example. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. This is so wonderful. Thanks so much for uh, for your time. I really think listeners are going to get a lot out of this, so thank you. Oh, yeah, no worries. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Rouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.